You're listening to the One Peter Five podcast. It is a real joy for us to welcome you all here. Habemus Papan. Rebuilding Catholic culture. Restoring Catholic tradition. Hello and welcome to the One Peter Five podcast, episode number 69. I'm Steve Skojak. And today I'm going to be talking to a young man named Cameron O'Hearn, a storyteller and filmmaker who has taken on an ambitious but very important project, an ambitious but very important project. It's important not to leave words out of sentences. It's a documentary called Mass of the Ages, How Tradition Will Restore the Church. But I feel like calling it a documentary is underselling it because it's really more of a film, kind of a beautiful piece of art. And I want to show you just the trailer, uh, or at least part of it here. Uh, If you're listening to our audio-only podcast, I apologize, but you're just going to have to click the link over to the Kickstarter for this film in the show notes or uh, in the YouTube description um, for this link, because it's a very visual story, and you have to see it to appreciate what's being aimed for here. New report from the Pew Research Center shows that the percentage of Americans... Only 10% of, percent of Catholics under the age of 30 say they go to Mass regularly. Only 50% of the priests that she had in 1970. Seven in ten Catholics believe the consecrated bread and wine at Mass are merely symbols. The Mass, which is the engine that drives the church, well, the, the church is sputtering today. Well, I helped to get a Mass started here in Dayton. This is my workroom. I've been doing this for 40 years. We had 150 people there maybe four years ago, and we're now up to over 400. My gosh, so many young families. The fact is the Catholic Church has evangelized the world. It's converted nations, it's converted continents to Christ. And so we want to say, how did we do that? The church has always believed that the way we worship, how we worship, impacts what we believe. Everything the church is doing is to to emphasize that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our entire Catholic life. And so everything we do at Mass is meant to show the greatest possible reverence for and attention to that Holy Sacrament. want to try to remind the people that you're ultimately destined for this heavenly liturgy and we want to get a glimpse of it here on earth. It's like, I'm sure like you, you know, you walked in and go, oh my gosh, I didn't know this existed. I mean, for the guy who's given you everything, you want to give everything back to him. But the great thing is when you do that, there's this corollary benefit that you then receive more. Cameron, I want to thank you for coming on the show today to talk about this film. It looks really fantastic, and I don't say that lightly. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you, sir. So good to be here. Uh, Good evening. I just put my kids to bed. Nice. Yeah, we're three hours apart, so mine are still up and running. You may hear screaming in the background at some point. Okay. um, Yeah. (laughs) Love it. 
Yeah. My oldest daughter just came back, uh, moved back here, and she's staying with us, and she has this big dog that can't stop barking and everything. So it could be just a menagerie. How many kids do you have? Seven. Yeah. Well done. Busy Good house. and faithful service. house. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so before we get into uh, the film about the mass itself, I wanted to talk to you about you so people have an idea where you're coming from. I looked you up a little bit to try to get a sense of who you are and what you do. Because um, I like to try to get origin stories on people. I think that that's what really informs and motivates their work. And yours is powerful, uh, especially the story about your dad. Uh, mm. But before we get to that, uh, I'd like you to talk about your upbringing. I mean, are you a cradle Catholic? Are you a convert? How did you come to this point? I had the comfiest, most Catholic cradle. <laughs> I, I certainly was a cradle Catholic. Um, amazing Catholic parents, uh, one of seven, um, and grew up, you know, going to mass every Sunday, uh, I guess, typical Novus Ordo parish, mm -hmm. praying the rosary often, going to uh, confession once a month as a family, and then out to ice cream. So a really solid uh, yeah. Catholic upbringing. The then, classic, the classic confession bribe. We'll, we're going to go to ice cream after. That's a great idea. It really is. <laughs> uh, and then Catholic high school. Um, okay. Like real Catholic high school or diocesan? Uh, say that again. Real Catholic high school that actually really teaches Catholicism or the other kind? Uh, really Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're Orthodox. Yeah. Excellent. Which actually, it unfortunately didn't mean that a lot of the students were orthodox. Um, it's hard for that kind of stuff to trickle down yeah. um, from the teaching authority. But yeah, great, great teachers, only a couple heretics. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that, that's also high school is when I had a personal faith experience that set me on a path for um, where I'm at today. So I, I met Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament just realized he was the most important thing in my life and should be. Um, actually, he wasn't, but he should be. Uh, I felt his love overpower me. Um, and then, you know, that realization of, okay, if, if this is who we say he is, if this is actually Jesus, then what I'm looking at now is the most important treasure in history in front of me. Yeah. And if, if my life doesn't revolve around the Blessed Sacrament, then it's wrong. It's disoriented. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just not on the right path. And so I, I committed to Jesus kneeling there in front of him in the Blessed Sacrament. I said, my life is for you. Whatever you want me to do, um, it's yours. And uh, I started to go to adoration regularly, go to mass regularly and develop a prayer life. Um, and that's kind of, that was uh, senior year of high school. So that's when, when I had that experience, 2008. So 2008, and then how does this inform your choice of college? Goodness, well, I, I went, went to college, I tried it. Uh, uh, didn't have the, did, couldn't get a loan. And so I actually uh, spent time at home. Uh, I had a transition period between uh, high school and college where first couple years I was working at home, bought myself a video camera, wrote some screenplays, um, filming stuff, and then served with Net Ministries, National Evangelization Teams, for two years and then served on staff with them. And then right after that, in 2013, I got married, got my first 
professional job in video and started studies for a bachelor's in divinity out of England. Okay. Uh, have you heard of the Maryvale Institute? Uh, I think I have. It sounds familiar. I can't place it directly, but yeah. They're excellent. Um, Birmingham, England, and uh, just great courses. Learned a lot there. Fast forward to year did five. Did you actually go there or did you do it distance learning? It's distance learning. Okay. Um, but you go there once a year for mm -hmm. residential weekends. So there was somewhat of a campus experience. Um, yeah. And the fifth year was when I just fell in love with the subject of liturgy. Um, studied liturgy in year five and wrote a research paper on the liturgy. Said, wow, like if I could just talk about this for the rest of my life, like I'd be happy. If I could just <laughs> look into this. It's right. It's beautiful and profound. Um, and then from there, I guess I can go into how this, this documentary came because it's, it's related. Um, I was recently married, going to adoration uh, with my wife. And I was asking the question, why don't people believe in you, Jesus, here in the real presence? Um, you are the king of the world and the world does not know you exist. Like the, the line from uh, the last gospel, John's, John's gospel, um, the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. Yeah, Just yeah, it's a like, profound line. I love that line. And why isn't the world here on their knees in front of you? But then the further question is, why aren't Catholics here? You know, you, you go to an adoration chapel and you see like one lady there um, at most uh, there in front of him. But then, of course, the Pew Research uh, study came out and revealed that most so-called Catholics don't believe in the real presence. Um, and then studies saying only 23% of young people are attending mass every Sunday. Even of, even of Catholics who attend mass every Sunday, only 60% of them actually believe in the real presence. So these are a typical mass going Catholics. So I said, well, my life is about Jesus <laughs> in the blessed sacrament. I want people I want him to be praised and adored and all the tabernacles of the world until the end of time. And I'm a filmmaker. So I had this profound sense in adoration where I heard, you know, do something about it. And so the thing I could do about it, long story short, was I want to make a feature length documentary that helps bridge this gap. We have so-called Catholics who aren't going to mass, don't believe in the real presence who uh, we have this massive gap in the church and I want to bridge that gap by showing the connection between the way we pray and what we believe. Lex orandi, lex credendi. Sure. Yeah. So, okay, let's back up a minute because okay. what I see when I'm looking at this video, this is not, you know, somebody doing a home movie, right? Um, <laughs> and I want to talk about production elements a little bit because okay. I think they're important, but you kind of took an unusual route to filmmaking. I mean, I actually went to school for radio and TV production, and I didn't learn how to make stuff that looks like what you're making. Um, and I spent four years on it. You managed to get a job and a video camera and practice on your own, and this is, this is the kind of artistic level production that comes from a real passion, and I think... Okay, so your story about your dad hmm. and about and about the role he plays in your life as a storyteller. Can you tell us about that and how it ties into 
filmmaking as a medium because I think that's really you know where the seed is for this realization that you had in front mm -hmm. of the blessed sacrament that you need to do something about this wow what a question man <laughs> how long do you got <laughs> you know what we got as much time as you need so let's just make it happen kids are asleep I got my scotch I'm good to go um <laughs> my dad so i made a video uh for my um i run a company called sacred stories which helps nonprofits uh raise money and get noticed online uh through the power of story and so when i was thinking of like what's my why like why do i make stories and i thought of my dad my dad passed away two years ago in april um unexpectedly of a heart attack um and uh, out of the blue, a healthy man, a rock to our family. And mm -hmm. we just moved into our house in, uh, in Ohio, our like first house in Ohio after moving here, started my video company. It was like really, it was a romantic, uh, innocent time. It was really exciting. Yeah. First day in our house, first full day in our house. I was working, it was great, still unpacking boxes. I was about to go to dinner time. I get the first call saying dad had a heart attack and it doesn't look good so went into the kitchen took like five minutes for it to come out of my mouth because i couldn't say it to my wife wow and then when i said it um we just started praying so we started praying rosary uh, divine mercy chaplet and then got the second phone call at dinner uh dad's gone <sighs> and if you ever had an experience like that, it feels like the world, you're, you're still, you're like dead, like you can't move and the world just completely shifts around you and everything's different from that day forward. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that goes on normally feels surreal. So like, like why doesn't the rest of the world understand what's happening right now? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about it, and this gets into storytelling is. I can I can talk for hours about my dad, but you just don't know my dad, right? You can't right. Yeah. you can't no matter how much I say, no matter how many facts I give about him, you just you can't know him like I know him, which is understandable. Um but that's where the power of story comes in because story has the power to like introduce you to someone and connect with someone in ways that like facts can't do. Like I can tell you a thousand facts about something. I can write, you know, a million articles. I can show you a million pictures, but you just don't get it. Something about a story, just like showing yeah. you my dad and not, not saying much, but just showing you things he did and tying it together in a thematic way that can at least introduce you to him. Like, oh man, he yeah. seems like a very unique. <laughs> no, and and look, unique. I mean, I watched it. It was very moving. It was very compelling. I felt like I had a sense of the man. So, I mean, mission accomplished. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my dad. He looked like an incredibly cool guy. He'd <laughs> <laughs> love to hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he'd be, he'd be over the moon right now that I'm doing this. He he always wanted me to follow my passion. He was never good at having deep conversations mm -hmm. he would he would be able to say like one thing to me you know i would i'd be visiting you know twice a year and i'm there for christmas or something like so how's the video business going and i'd say i'd like get into it talk about all the cool stuff he's like that's 
great. And that, he didn't know how to like. He, I could tell he's really interested, but he just doesn't have that bone in his body to like carry yeah. on a conversation well. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of a kind man. And after after he uh, passed away, that's when I really got a strong sense of the power of what we believe the resurrection of the body. Like when you look at a, a corpse um, in a casket and you put that casket in the ground and you realize that that body in that casket is worm food, or as one writer put it, a carnival, a carnival of worms, which is so intense to see a corpse like that. But then you, you realize in our faith, we say that we believe not only will I see my dad again, God willing, I pray for his soul, um, but his body again. Like, it won't just be, I'll like talk to dad in some ethereal way, but I will right. actually see my dad complete um, in, a, in the, a complete sense. So, yeah, so that that's why I, I come back to stories because... And here's, here's the thing about what I want to communicate with the documentary. Traditional liturgy, you know, the way we worship affects what we believe. There's so many articles, um, posts, tweets, uh, videos that are very fact-based. That are It's all... like you're reading my next question, by the way. <laughs> Literally, I say, obviously, there's been a ton written about the traditional mass over the years, books and articles and you name it. So you're in my head. What are you what are you wanting to do with this that's different? Tell me. Yeah, so it's um, it's story first. Okay. That's what we're getting into. So when people are scrolling Twitter, Facebook, or searching the web, uh, they have their defenses up. Like when you're scrolling Twitter, you're ready to have a fight. Uh, like, Twitter was designed for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's for people with PTSD. Yeah. And Facebook, you're just there to waste your time. You're just yeah. distracting yourself. Um, that doesn't mean that articles, blogs, fact-based videos are bad. They're essential because we need, we need those facts. We need, we need things to chew on, the meat, you know? Um, but for those, the typical, I, I say the, like the typical Novus Ordo Catholic who make up the majority of our church, um, they're not the ones subscribing to... 1 Peter 5. Sure. Uh, or retweet, retweeting Dr. Taylor Marshall. They're not the ones who are going to be convinced by an article, necessarily. But the power of story, we've been telling stories for millennia, and it's, it's burnt into our brains. We have a well-worn path in our brain where story can just cut right through and speak to the heart. So when you watch a movie and you're hearing someone's story. This is why documentaries are so powerful. When you're hearing someone's story, your defenses are down and you connect with a person and you can't argue with a person, uh, like a personal experience. You're like, I, you know, I can't argue that you had that experience. Um, so when someone's defenses are down, when they connect with someone, then you're ready to uh, bring in the heavy hitters, the experts, the evidence, and you're ready to argue your case. So a documentary blends storytelling with evidence and argumentation in a really effective way. So that's why we want to do a feature-length documentary on the traditional Latin mass and show that 
there's a strong connection between worship and belief. And we're aiming it at the typical Novus Ordo Catholic um, so that they find it intriguing, absolutely beautiful, um, and convincing in the end. So, okay, so I think this is a very worthy goal, and I agree. Um, you know, this has been my job for years is to read countless articles about this stuff, decide what we're going to publish. People send me a lot of things. Um, and it and it becomes repetitive, frankly. I mean, I love the arguments. I, I care about them. I think it's really important. I think maybe the best article I've ever written is the one uh, entitled Why Liturgy Really Is the Key to Everything. Hmm. And, and, it, and it talks about our relationship with God. And if it isn't rooted in a, in a proper form of worship, we don't understand our place in the cosmos. We don't understand... Hmm anything about who we are and, and what we're supposed to do. We're disoriented. We're totally disoriented, like you yeah. said before. Um, but because I'm immersed in this stuff all the time, when something like the, I mean, I got to be honest with you, a couple people sent me the link to your thing. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's another, everybody's doing this stuff, you know. And then finally I went and I clicked on it. <laughs> you had me hooked instantly. You had me hooked and I'm like, oh, this is different. This is going to be good. And I watched the whole thing. In fact, I didn't get pulled out of the narrative until you gave your message at the end. But the entire time the teaser's going, I'm like, I'm in it. And, mm -hmm. you know, I want to talk about that in a, in a minute about where we are with attention spans and things like that. But before we get there, a little bit more establishment about you. You describe yourself using an interesting term. And I don't know how long ago you became fully committed to, I'm going to do this mass, I'm going to raise my kids in it, etc. I'm assuming it's been somewhere within the last five years. Uh, it's Just based years, on the timeline you've given years. me so yep. far. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, you say you're a glad trad, which I assume is a play off the epithet that is so widely used about traditionalists by people who don't like our ideas, which is we're rad trads, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there are some of us who fall under the category of rad trad. And there are some of us who aren't very nice. Um, but in general, you know, what do you think the distinguishing factor is and why are you using this term proactively? I mean, it's in your about on this film. You're, you're kind of pushing this out and I think I know where you're going with it, but I want to hear it from you. Okay. Well, I think, uh, yeah, radical traditionalist rad trad, it used to be a pejorative term. Now it's it can be a badge of honor. I think for younger people, they they embrace it. It's no, no longer sure. like offensive. Um, I I think so. There's a tendency. I don't I don't think this is most often the case. I just think this tendency exists that when you get involved with the politics of liturgy, that you can let it start to eat you from the inside. Um, and you know, in a sense, <laughs> this stuff should eat us from the inside. Yeah. We should care, we should burn for some of these things. We should, we should be absolutely devastated that like the Eucharist is treated with disrespect. So it should burn, we should have zeal, right? Um, but I don't think the saints were bitter. And that I think that's kind of what the tendency can lead to is this bitter anger um, that kind of eats you from the inside that causes one to be um, critical and without charity 
Um, now, Gladtrad is kind of a way to infuse Radtrad with a spirit of, uh, you know, f- fraternal correction. If we're yeah. talking about um, how to convince people who attend Novus Ordo that they should attend traditional Latin Mass, it's going to happen through a fraternal correction. Like uh, something that's from a brother to a brother. Yeah, Not seeing... which, which means that you have to establish a fraternal relationship before you can yeah. do it. You can't, you can't have an us versus them mentality. You can't come at them with derogatory terms of your own. Yeah. Um, you've yeah. got to actually treat them like, hey, you're another Catholic. You know, and this is something that comes up all the time in these discussions. You know, I've been having them for you know, close to 20 years now. And, and it's these people who feel like, oh, you're talking down to me or you think you're better than me. And I'm like, hey, this mass is great and it has nothing to do with me. It's like <laughs> I found a treasure yeah. that I didn't know existed. And I want you to have some of this treasure. Yeah, and too. I want you to have it too. Like, Can I you literally share this want you to have it. And I just want you to not be so stubborn that when I say, hey, here's some treasure, you say, no, thanks. I, I just prefer, you know, just this pile of dirt over or here. Or here's you know? some medicine, right? It's, yeah. Hey, and I'm so sick it's too. like. Yeah, and, and so I want to, to give that to people. It's not better, and it's not better because I picked it. It's, it's objectively better. It's objectively more nourishing. It's objectively more reverent and more pleasing to God. And I think, you know, again, the glad trad thing is, in a sense, an offshoot of, of you know, truth, beauty, goodness. We're, we're, we're finding these fundamental things that lead us to God. Um, but it's also, you know, he ties into a friend of mine who it really took him a long time, even though he found the old mass appealing, to come to it because he had a number of negative experiences with people uh, who he was encountering there. And he said to me one time, and it was years ago, but I'll never forget it. He said, if we have this thing that's such a huge treasure and, and, it's, and it's the best thing going in the church, why is it that we're not happier about it? Like, we should be really compellingly happy and on fire, and instead, it seems like so many people are just grumpy about it that it's like yeah. there's something, it's not selling it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, to me, that's something that I see a lot. I think we need mm-hmm. to move away from the bunker mentality and the adversarial mentality, especially right now, because right now, there are many things happening in the church that are causing people to take a step back and go, okay. There are things I thought I could trust hmm. about Catholicism that I don't know that I can. Hmm. So I'm going to just kind of reevaluate everything. I thought that the Pope really couldn't do anything wrong, say anything wrong. And then he did some things that I'm pretty sure are wrong. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And they start peeling back the layers. Yeah. And next thing you know, you know, they're reading Michael Davies and they're reading, you know, whatever. And they're, oh, wow, what happened at the council? You know, hmm. um, what happened with the mass? I didn't know this. Yeah. And, and so this is why I think is, it is an opportune moment to take an approach that says, I'm not good. I'm not here to argue with you. Just, Hey, look how beautiful this thing yeah. is. Uh, which strikes me immediately about, you know, what you're doing here. Um, and that brings me to production values because you're not messing around yeah. with production values. This is very high quality video. And for people who've ever made video, you know, it's, it's a much more subtle thing for people who don't, but I mean, I'm seeing, you know, the lighting, the composition, the layered in shots and pans, you know, we are bombarded with video right now. It's, you know, you talk in one of your videos about how many ads we see, but we're bombarded with videos. You know, if I go on YouTube to look at my subscriptions, 
there's 300 other things that are being recommended to me that might grab my interest because of something I searched for before. And then it's like, you know, a squirrel chasing the squirrel. But I don't know what the statistic is. I find that videos lose my interest in less than 10 seconds if they're not immediately captivating and attractive. If Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you know what's interesting is there's only one one time of day when you're not daydreaming for well let me say it this way an average person daydreams like once every few minutes like three to okay. three to five ten minutes we just constantly like disconnect from what we're doing and we start thinking about something else we're distracted of course that happens with most videos but the one time we can give our attention for longer than that is for 90 minutes or 120 minutes or sometimes three hours when we're sitting there in the theater and we don't, our minds don't wander at all. <laughs> it's because when you're, when you can craft a story yeah. that's, com- that's asking com- uh, compelling questions that has compelling heroes you can root for, then uh, you're hooked. I mean, it has this primal effect on us that we're hooked by that and yeah. we give all our attention to it. And that's yeah. with, you know, good filmmaking. Now, now I want to mention about the, uh, the, all the footage you've seen. The reason why it looks so excellent is because I know my role as director and editor. <laughs> and I step back and I bring in people who are better than I am at filming. So our cinematographer is incredible. We, we did invest upfront money in order to make this happen. So we had a, you know, a grip and a gaffer. We had a, a grip truck, all, all this gear um, yeah. for the shoot. And we the reason why we did that um, is because the liturgy deserves this kind of the best we can do. Right. Um, and what size crew does it take to shoot something like this? I mean, there how many like, people are working on this? Uh, not counting the servers uh, and the priests, there was uh, about 10 of us. Okay. Um, but we, we only had, um, you know, for that five minutes of film, we were filming about four hours. Sure. And that was completely rushed. We were, we were going crazy with that time constraint. So yeah, that's not a lot of time. People no. don't understand how much time goes into. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there have been days I've spent 12 hours on a one-hour podcast just to get all the editing done, the scripting, and yeah. you know, all, all of that. And that's not even composed in the way something like this is where you've got to make sure you've got a shot list and you yeah. know what you're going to shoot. Well, and- we also knew well ahead of time. Well, I knew as the director what I wanted. I knew I could see the shots ahead of time. Um, I knew how to explain them to my DP. We met beforehand. We, we went shot by shot through it. We had a you know detailed shot list. And that's how you can pull, pull that off. And I sure. give so many props to my cinematographer my producer Jonathan, who's been with me from day one. Since How did you find these guys? It is really hard to find good people to work with, let alone people who share your beliefs. Yeah, uh, there's there's a ca- good Catholic, small Catholic creative community online. Okay. Um, and when I find someone that who I really value, if they're, I look for humility. I look for hustle. I look for someone who's hungry, <laughs> a bunch of age yeah. words. And when I find them, I, I just cannot not work with them again. I just keep working with them. So I've been working with Tom and Jonathan for a, a couple of years. Um, 
yeah, I've worked with a lot of people, but they're, they're the ones I keep coming back to again and again. I want to put you in the hot seat a little bit. Okay. Not, um, not about you, but, but I want to ask you to kind of make an assessment on something that I think is probably somewhat controversial, and that is this. And I'm jealous because I didn't pour a single bit of whiskey for this, and I often do. Um, and this is an evening podcast. So. <laughs> uh, no, but without throwing anybody under the bus, do you have any theories on why Catholics seem to be, you know, I, I don't know what the right word is. I'm going to go with impoverished when it comes to the way that we work with visual media. We have oh. movies that get made about saints that have no conflict. There's no story. Uh, it, they're boring. They're boring to watch. I don't even want to show them to my kids because I'm like, they're going to think that the saints were just not interesting. Um, we have not been successful as storytellers, despite the fact that we have this unbelievably rich history of art and music mm -hmm. and, and creativity as Catholics. I mean, Western civilization's entire artistic history is built around the church and the mass. What has happened to us? Why is it so rare hmm. to find somebody who's like, I am going to take this to 11? That is a great question. Do you have any theories? I mean, maybe you don't uh, know, but I'm trying to understand it because we are in an age of visual media and we're not doing no. it. We, the church was trailblazing in basically every other art form. <laughs> and then film came along. And I wonder if, if the, the you know Christian media was a reaction to Hollywood. It's like, okay, you're making your movies. Sure. And they're, you know... It's showing sin in a positive light. It's uh, damaging to faith. So what we need to do is we need to like have this very safe message-based film where like the good guys are good all the way through and the bad guys are really bad. Yeah. And we have the characters say what exactly what we want the audience to hear. <laughs> so it's like really right. boring, really paint yeah, by numbers. Telegraph everything. Yeah. yeah, it's very safe. And you don't have... Um, heroes who struggle with things and that's how we connect with someone so I wonder if it was a reaction to just the state of Hollywood but I think yeah it's just the the interesting thing is a lot of these Protestant films are being funded like crazy like they're, they're sure. raising millions of dollars and I still think they're very safe and message based and like yeah plastic yeah I agree. I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. I try to watch them occasionally, and I would rather watch a really well-told story that you know has presents some questionable moral issues. Yeah. As long as there's something of the hero's journey in there, if there's some redemption arc. I mean, I've told people. You know, I love saying things on the podcast. I'm waiting to see the angry emails that I get. But I think Breaking Bad is what Shakespeare would do if he were alive today. I mean, I think it's the it best TV show ever made. It was a crazy redemption story arc. Yeah. It showed, you know, one character who made bad choices and just continued to keep making them, even though he had opportunities to change. And another character who started out like the lowest of the low, and and became somehow the hero mm. of of the story. I mean, just it was a tragedy. It was a comedy. It was everything you could ask for. We, and we, I bet there's a lot of people who won't even watch it. Yeah. I, because of the subject matter. Well, if you just filmed the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Christian, we have to deal with sin seriously. I think that's sure. what a show like Breaking Bad does. It shows the consequences of sin. 
Uh, John, John Paul II, in his letter to artists, he said that some films have merit because they show man's universal desire for redemption. Mm-hmm. It shows a, a desperate individual. And because you see an individual who chose sin and is ordering their life around sin being destroyed, that's actually reflecting our need for redemption. It's showing sure. Christ in, in the reverse. Um, and so Breaking Bad is a perfect example because choices lead to consequences and it deals yeah. with sin seriously as opposed to many like comedies nowadays, for example, that play around with sin. Sure. Um, I think, I think horror films and drama usually uh, does a good job of showing sin and consequence, but a lot of comedies, for example, will show uh, sin, but without consequence. Oh, that's then, actually a really good point. And then uh, Christian films just won't really show sin. <laughs> um, yeah. And now there, there's tasteful ways to, to show yeah. sin uh, yep. that doesn't lead others into sin. I but, mean, the way I look at it is if a person was committing a sin by, by making a scene, you're probably committing a sin by watching it. That's, that's yeah. my rule of thumb. Yeah. So you don't have to be graphic in the way that you depict things. You that's can true. allude to things. You can, you know... It, it doesn't need to be like HBO, which you know has some of the best written stuff. But good lord, like, mm. it doesn't need to be pornographic either. Yeah. You know, so and it's difficult for storytellers because when you want to go to the stuff that's really compelling and thought provoking and well written, you have to filter through a lot of things, and I think that makes it challenging as well. But people aren't—they're just not learning from Hollywood. They may be reacting to Hollywood. But Hollywood has had all this money for a long time because they know what they're doing. They know how to tell a story. Yeah, they, they know how to run a business, that's for sure. Yeah, but I mean, more than that, they know how to put butts in seats at the theater. People yep. want to see what they're selling them. Yeah. And it's not an attraction to sin per se. Yes, there may be some things that are like that. But there's a reason why their stories work. And if we could learn from them... And if we can learn from, again, the production values, the way things are composed, the subtle psychological things that you don't recognize until you study Citizen Kane or whatever, you know, the camera shots and what they imply. And it, it, I don't know. I just, I wish we would see more of this. And I, and I think that we're at this time now where younger filmmakers like you, I mean, you, you have grown up in a time where, where I don't know how old you are. You, I'm assuming mid-30s? Love to hear you guess. Early 30s? Mid-30s because of my beard. I'm 30. Okay. If, without my so, beard, I'd look 20. <laughs> yeah. Well, without mine, I looked a lot younger until I started going gray. Um, but, but you know, when I grew up trying to make this stuff, I mean, this was my thing when I was a kid. I made radio shows and I made videos with that big honking VHS recorder that I would borrow from my aunt because my parents didn't even have one. Um, and it was such a pain to work with. It was a pain to edit. Even when I got into college, when I got to Steubenville in 1997 and started doing radio and TV production, for that four years, we didn't do nonlinear editing. We had an SVHS <laughs> deck, side-by-side linear, that lost track constantly because it had like 75,000 hours of use. And the heads were probably worn down to nothing. Yeah. You know, they have like a state-of-the-art comm arts lab now, but they didn't have that then. How's that education helping you now? <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, I uh, spent a lot of money paying off that debt. Let's just put it that way. Um, But I've learned what I've learned on my own. But I think my point is there's a younger generation of Catholics who are almost more instinctually uh, filmmakers Mm. 
because they're working in this media for good or for ill, you know, they're on Instagram, they're on TikTok, which, you know, pretty soon it's probably going to get banned because it's run by the communist Chinese. Um, but they're learning how to be creative with cameras that they're carrying around with them. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to do and it's easy to edit. And I just kind of hope that it brings about this, this renaissance of people who are like, you know what, I want to make this stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to make these stories. Mm -hmm. So when I see you doing this, I, I can't help wondering, you know, are we going to start getting more of this? Are we going to, because I didn't expect even this. I, I've been so d frustrated for a mm. long time. I'm kind of going off on my own tangent here. So I would I'll love to see more of this. <laughs> like this, this, this is why we put so much effort into this Kickstarter. Like, you know, putting down money up front to get the best production we could. You know, tons of planning, 500 hours of just doing stuff to, yeah. to get to this point, and filming it in the highest quality we could. So many meetings, so much prayer uh to we want to do it right yeah we just we're so excited we're, we even got to this point and we just want to do it right like you're saying and i mean i have to say based on the interviews that you've already done and it was it was funny to see my friend eric salmon's on there you I know love eric salmon's yeah he writes for us all the time um but uh this i mean this could have been a big budget you know, I don't want to compare it to Michael Moore. I mean, the guy knows how to make a documentary. I'll give him, he's a moral monster, but he knows how to make a persuasive film. Mm -hmm. But seeing this, I mean, I fully expect it to be like any other major documentary I, I saw. And it's, again, it's in the little things. It's in the way that you layer in those news clips at the beginning. It's mm -hmm. it's in the, the way the interviews are being conducted with people. It's, it's the small stuff mm -hmm. that makes all the difference. And... Mm -hmm. I'm really, really excited to see a movie about a topic I already know a lot about because that's what you did and it kept me compelled. So talk to me about, you know, working with Kickstarter. There's probably at least a few folks in the audience who might not understand how that works. Um, can you walk us through what you're trying to do there? You know, where your goal is now. I see that you met your initial goal, but you've got stretch goals. What is, what is, what is a filmmaker doing when he goes to Kickstarter and says, this is what I need? So as we were recording, uh, we hit our goal <laughs> just now. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, congrats. I got on literally right before we connected and you had just hit it. Nice. So you must not have gotten the notification Lovely. yet. So I'm happy to tell you the news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kick, so Kickstarter. So the, the interesting thing is we, we, I've had so many meetings I, I won't mention names, but meetings with people in traditional circles who have platforms who would be interested in something like this. But because nothing was made in front of them, like the train wasn't moving yet, mm -hmm. they would say, sounds great. Let me know like when it's done and maybe I can help promote it. It was no one was willing to like pay to see this happen. Invest. Yeah, right. So that, really? that's I mean, why investment. Yeah. That's why we built this Kickstarter page and built this campaign is to say, to give people this feeling of this is what it could be like. Imagine 90 right. minutes of this level of filmmaking. Um, and so Kickstarter is really a platform for fundraising for projects. Um, it's, you know, they, they take a cut of it uh, because it's a platform you use, but sure. your benefit is you're reaching a, a large audience. So, if we were just on Facebook, you know, 
posting stuff, we would not have hit our goal. And let's be honest, no, there's not a platform out there that doesn't take a cut. Yeah. You can't right. raise money in any way, whether you're going through PayPal, where you're Stripe. I mean, it, we can't do fundraising without somebody taking a cut of it. That's just the way you have to do business right now. Yep. So Kickstarter, you rally together hundreds of backers, you give some perks, and uh, they can all, if they believe in your project, uh, they want to pay to see it, it done. If the, enough, enough people believe in it, um, then you're going to raise the money for the project that you want to make. And so we hit our goal, and now we have, um, we recently, today actually, added some stretch goals that we've been talking about for a long time. Um, I had my fourth baby, and I took Congratulations, by the way. Things were crazy. But yeah. today was finally the day we're like, okay, let's get these out there. We just had the baby, what, like last week, right? Yes, it was uh, um, just two weeks ago, actually, on, on Friday. Two weeks, okay. Yeah. What's the name? Uh, Ellen. Well, congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Ellen Amelda O'Hearn. Well, sweetheart. Uh, yeah, so so the stretch goals, do you mind if I go into those really quick? No, sure, go ahead. I mean, that's, let's let people know. So we had a phenomenal um, matching gift of... $10,000 over the weekend, and a lot of people got behind that. We actually matched it completely at $10,000. Um, so we, we hit our first stretch goal. So we're going to be able to subtitle and caption the film in 11 languages. So a 90-minute film in you know French, Spanish, Portuguese, German, Arabic, Vietnamese, Chinese, Polish, Korean, Japanese, and Italian. So that's a sweet stretch goal. Very cool. The film can be universal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And well, then the mass is, why not? Right. <laughs> exactly. Our next stretch goal. Are you going to do a Latin translation for the, for the real nerds <laughs> out there? Uh, I, what yeah, is you, this? This is this documentary about the Latin mass. You don't have a Latin translation. Uh, why don't you do that? Yeah, no, I can't do that. Yeah. It's just, I'd appreciate that. Thanks. So, <laughs> so then, um, if we reach 108,000, then we can really give this documentary like a feeling of, wow, there's so many parishes that celebrate the traditional Latin Mass. Basically, we want to show a dozen parishes, like 10, 10 or so parishes, where the fraternity and the institute are running these beautiful parishes. Even if the parish sure. isn't very stunning, the liturgy still yeah. is. And all sure. this swath of parishes. So we, we'd want to... So just to be clear... Your initial goal was 77,700 70, to to be able to to be able to take the time to make the whatever all the people involved to get this thing done in its basic yep. form. And so these stretch goals of going up are going to fund things like additional travel, yep. potentially on you know on-site hires if you need to bring in somebody because you can't fly everybody out or whatever. Like this is going to fund production that's going to bring in stuff in locations other than your main location. That's right? correct. Yeah. So, okay. so we asked the question, what's, what's the minimum we need to make something that we're extremely proud of and that, that right. fulfills our promise? So we want to make something that you could, you could find on Netflix and it'd be like, yeah, this is, this should be on here. Like this is of a quality yeah. of a documentary I'd, I'd want to watch. It's compelling and interesting. Sure. So that goal has been hit. Uh, praise God. Like we, we've hit that goal. Now we, and by the way, how much yeah. how much does it take to make, you know, an average documentary these days? You know, the food inks of the world or whatever Ooh. it is that people are watching. I, you I know? Would, Do you have any idea what the budget is for documentaries? I would like guess that? it's in the um, 
hundreds of thousands to five million. Yeah. 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 So you're really doing this as on a tight budget yep. as you possibly can. You're not, yep. I, you're not asking me for and free Jonathan lunch here. and there's been others, um, who we're, we're going to think very soon who have helped you know, with, with the Kickstarter and marketing and all that, who have put in time, you know, I, I mentioned 500 hours of my time, for example, and there's others who've been working on this. Um, we're not getting paid for that time. Sure. This money is just to let's do this. Let's hit the ground running. Let's go make this thing. Yeah. So we've hit that goal. Now it's about making it more universal. You know, let's hit up more parishes. Let's hear more stories. There's so many stories out there of traditional Catholics who've been right. transformed by traditional liturgy. And we, we want to hear all those stories. So yeah, you can check out our stretch goals there. Um and I don't need to go into them, but it's a uh, yeah, we'll put links up yeah. to everything, uh, both on the YouTube and on the website. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. So uh, what would you say, you know, we've talked about a lot of things, but what is the goal that you have in mind for this film? Like, There's one thing it can accomplish. What is it that you're really hoping at the heart of all of this that, that it can do that, that needs to be done that hasn't yet been done? Okay, it might take a long time to answer this question, but I'll try to get through it uh, succinctly. So something I've learned in uh, launching this documentary is how many distinctions you, you need to make in what you're talking about and how oftentimes Catholics equivocate on terms. So when you say the word church, like the church teaches, that can mean mm -hmm. a few different things depending on who you're talking to. Yeah. Um, sure. If you say novus ordo, that can mean a few different things. So the way I kind of draw the distinction is I think, yes, there's a lot of problems with the new mass and how the new mass is celebrated. Um, Vatican II is problematic because it's it's not an infallible council. It kind of removed itself from that, that kind of degree. And then it says a few things that are hard to reconcile with tradition. So it's problematic. I think the implementation of Vatican II was disastrous. If you, if you look into it, it's really eye-opening. Um, so we have all these problems. I think the problem of the typical Catholic next Sunday going to an, a typical Nova Soto parish and experiencing a liturgy that's, that's domesticated and beige and soft and, um, you know, in sometimes irreverent. Dr. Regis Martin used to call it a bubblegum chewing religion of suburban good cheer. That's good. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. So that that problem is what I'd most want to solve is is the typical Catholic who's going to the typical Nova Sordo parish. I want to show them the beauty of the Latin Mass so that we get millions of Catholics to either start going to Latin Mass while the church figures everything else out. And while, yeah. you know, smarter people than me, uh, like you, <laughs> work out, like, how do we fix the rubrics? And, and what do we do about Vatican yeah. II and, and all that? Like, okay, what about next Sunday? And I want to show the yeah. typical... What are we doing yeah, for now? the typical Nova Soto Catholic. go deeper? Like, go to the Latin Mass. It's a firm foundation for your faith in this turbulent time. Right. So I, wanna, I want the average 
Novus Ordo Catholic, I want millions of them to start going to Latin Mass. We want thousands of priests to learn the Latin Mass who aren't already celebrating it because they see the richness of it. They see that this is the future of the church, um, especially if we remain on this path. The future is tradition. Um, I, I completely agree. Do you think that during you know this whole pandemic situation where a lot of people have been in a position where they're having a live stream from home, I, I have the sense, and it's anecdotal, that a lot of people started checking out the Latin Mass for the first time because it was available. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have the pressure of going in and being like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to follow <laughs> they this. They could watch it on TV. I and mean, I heard from, <laughs> yeah, I heard from some people who definitely did. They said, you know, I tried this and it was really cool. But I mean, it's when you, I don't know if you remember or if you had this experience. For me, going initially, really didn't like it. I felt totally alienated. I didn't know what was going on. The first couple of times I went, it was a low mass, you know, and in, <laughs> in the narcissistic cultivation of the, the dialogue mass that we grew up with, I found myself going, what about yeah, me? Yeah. Wh wh what's my job here? Where's my role? You know? And I really didn't have a good sense of the, of the theology of worship at all. And so I almost didn't go back. And honestly, if it hadn't been for my wife, who was a very recent convert, who we were at a Novus Ordo, and the priest who, who said it finished and then came back out and started a TLM mm -hmm. afterward for, you know, people in the afternoon and, you know, the 10 people who were coming mm -hmm. at that time. Um, and I said, hey, hey, honey, check this old <laughs> thing out, you know, that this is how mass used to be done. We don't do that kind of thing anymore. It's vintage. It's And cool. she was kneeling there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like, yeah, it's a historical, you know, and she was kneeling there watching and she was just, I mean, enraptured. And without looking at me, she goes, no, this, this is how mass is supposed wow. to be. And I was like, all right, I guess I got to take that a little more seriously. Me and my wife had a reverse, she saw it before reverse I experience. So it really? was a low mass that I went to for the first time and I loved it. And the reason I loved it, and I know it's different for everyone, was because, you know, I had a regular prayer life and I loved meditation. I loved sinking my teeth into scripture. And my friend said, my friend Dan, Dan, if you're listening, he, uh, he's... What up, Dan? Shout out shout to Dan. Shout out to Dan. <laughs> um, <laughs> he said, this is a mass that you can actually pray at. I said, wow, yeah. that sounds really cool. So I went and it was like I could meditate at the mass. It's amazing. And then receiving the Eucharist after that was really intense, beautiful. Yeah. But then when I brought my wife... Uh, Actually, she was my fiance at the time. Uh, she had a similar experience to you. It's like, it's so different than everything we've experienced for our whole life. We, we didn't grow up with the Latin Mass. And so it was just so different that it, it, didn't, it didn't sit right. And you're waiting for the yeah. priest to kind of lead you and explain what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so it took her a few times. But now, like fast forward a handful of years, like she loves it. And right. even if I wasn't here, she'd be raising our family with the Latin mass. Which is profound. Yeah. And so, I mean, is that one of the aims of this film is to help people kind of overcome the learning curve to kind of jumpstart that so they can have their feet wet if they want to go check it out? Yeah, I'd say so, because you're going to see the Latin mass and not just 
shots of the Latin Mass that you don't know like where it's coming from What's or going on. what part of the Mass it is. But we plan to, to unlock and open the Latin Mass to kind of like walk people through it in a sense. Like, here's why the prayers at the foot of the altar are so important, and here's how beautiful they are. Right. And what happens when the difference between a priest coming out, like, you know, he's leading a charge, takes his, is it called a zacchetto? Uh, the Beretta. Beretta. Okay. The Beretta. Yeah. You see how I'm new. Not the gun. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> uh, he takes the bread off, and then he just starts praying. He's he's about to ascend the altar uh, to the Father to offer a sacrifice um, for the for the world. Um, so the difference between that and a priest who comes to the altar and he's immediately facing everyone and he says, "Good morning, everyone." Like there. Yeah. If we experience that Sunday after Sunday, it's going to affect. First of all, what we think the mass is, and secondly, like what we think our faith is—that we're we're just like this closed circle, this like you've heard, you might have heard moralistic therapeutic deism, like yeah. faith mm-hmm. is just about generating feelings in me, and going out and making a difference, and God's involved, but He's not really in charge. <laughs> we're at the Latin Mass, you yeah. you, you recognize. Jesus is my king <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know and the ascetical life is is worthy of 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 my attention and practice and it's challenging but worth it um, like these are the kinds of things that get just that just kind of seep into you when you, when you're going to mass every Sunday and it does affect what we believe so so yeah that that was her experience it was like and I, I could see where she was coming from. Why isn't the priest talking to us? Like, I feel like he's he's so distant. Yeah. He's back to us. And th- I know that's a lot of people's experience, too. No, it is. And that's good. I think that that'll be helpful because if the people you want to reach are the ones who've never experienced anything like it, there is an element of, of fear and alienation and insecurity when you encounter this. When your experience from from birth until your 30s or your 40s or even your 20s is Catholicism is this thing, and then you do this other thing, you're like, well, that's not Catholic. That's not what I'm used to. And it's like, actually, yeah, it is. And it's been Catholic for a really long time, more than 500 years. It goes back further than that. Um, So, yeah, no, I think that's really cool. Well, there you have it, everybody. The film is called Mass of the Ages. The director is Cameron O'Hearn. Uh, you can help back the project on Kickstarter. I really think this is something that's going to be worth investing in. You will be able to take pride in the fact that you helped make a film that you know may very well be a turning mm-hmm. point in this shift back to tradition because I think we're ripe for it. I, I think at this moment in church history, we're starting to see that pendulum swing back towards, you know what? The stuff we've been doing isn't working, but we need to persuade people because we're not the majority, not yet. And, and we want to bring more people on board. So we'll put a link to everything uh, on the YouTube page, uh, on the website post for this episode. Cameron, thanks so much for coming on and talking about the film. Steve, excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. It was so fun. Awesome. And maybe we'll get some updates from you as time goes on. Let's do it. Awesome. Thanks. (laughs) I have plenty of scotch. (laughs) Yeah, I'll bring it next time. (laughs) You're listening to the One Peter Five podcast. 
Well, that is all the time we have for this episode of the podcast. I'm wearing a different shirt. You're not supposed to notice that, so just pretend like you don't. Uh, It's actually tomorrow. I forgot to record this closing segment, but I wanted to remind you that we have links to the Kickstarter for the Mass of the Ages. Uh, We will put it in the YouTube description. We will also put it on the website post for this episode of the podcast. Um, What else? Subscribe. We're really close to 10,000 subscribers on our 1 Peter 5 YouTube channel. We would really like to hit that number and keep going. If you could subscribe, that'd be great. If you hit the little bell icon, you'll also have the benefit of getting notified every time we produce a new video. And we don't always do them exactly on the same days. So sometimes it's nice to have that notification so you know that new content is up. What else? Uh, Please like this video, give it a like, give it a share, put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, put it on Parler, put it wherever you want, email it to your friends, burn DVDs and give them to your grandparents. I don't care, but it's an interesting topic and we hope that you'll share it. And then of course, finally, we are right about at the mid-month point for our July fundraiser. As always, this is a reader and listener supported show. So please, if you would like to support our work, show that support by making a donation at 1peter5.com forward slash donate. Until next time, I'm Steve Skojek. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. We'll see you next time. God bless.